Martha Creek, this mic is all yours. Thank you, Lynn, for your help. Welcome, everybody. And as a reminder, I am joining you in um, clear intention and state of um, evolutionary intention um, to look and see what is the cause of our suffering and to determine with the technology of the work what is true, what is false, and to be less under the effects of false thinking. Loving what is, living in harmony with the way things are. www.thework.com for all the free resources. The work is meditation. It is a practice, a spiritual practice. It's a way to ask ourselves for the first time for some of us in our lives. We're asking our high self, our higher consciousness, what is true and what is false. The heart gives the answers, not the intellect. Not the know-it-all, adult mind. What we can experience through doing the work is a polarity of mind that is underdeveloped. A polarity of mind that is wise and quiet and still and gets very little airplay, so to speak, because the other polarity of mind that knows everything or thinks it does is what's been running the show that was based on false concepts that we took on, believed, uh, adapted to, accepted, inherited throughout recorded history and especially in our families. So we've got some um, deep-rooted systemic, multi-generational processes of BS, belief systems, to cut through here. And the work is the finest technology, the finest uh, practice through inquiry that I found. The work invites us, encourages, and directs us to write the thinking down on paper So whatever thought is arising, to put it on paper, and then that way we've got something to work with. The mind is so wily and so um, rooted in its belief systems and so determined to be right, to keep its already drawn conclusions in place, that without putting it on paper, it's, it's a little too slippery most of the time to even... Uh, take a, an inquiry process from the beginning to the end. So I would love all of you at least it's in some time to follow the work as it's directed by simply writing it down, then ask the questions and turn it around. And when we're asking the questions, to ask the questions with an intention, do we really want to know the truth? Do you really want to know the truth? Are you more invested in being right and staying stuck in that already drawn BS, the already drawn conclusions, structures of knowing, paradigms of belief, or breaking through that? To know a truth that is an infinite, eternal essence 
of truth. If you're a lover of truth, the mind can be more open, a little more fluid, and it can ask the heart what is true. And this heart is the other polarity of mind, which has been clouded over with all of this thinking and storytelling and belief systems and conclusion drawing for all of our life. And in all of this is chaos. So the mind can actually ask the questions. The four questions. Is it true? Number two, can I absolutely know that this is true? Three, how do I react? What happens when I believe that thought? Question four, who would I be? What would it be like? Who would I be if I wasn't believing that thought? And wait for the heart to answer. Wait for the other polarity of mind to respond. Every single time, the mind will respond in pictures, images. What images arise? It shows a lot of proof. Proof to keep us thinking that. Proof to keep us believing that. Proof to keep that in place for us. And the images are so real-like. They seem so true because we've never stopped to ask us, is it really true or not? It will give it to us in pictures. It will give us to it in memories. It will give us to it, give it to us in a knowing, in a righteousness. It will give us to us in more thinking, uh, explanation, speculation, postulation, theorizing. It loves that mental activity. And if you wait, if you can slow down a little, just put a little pause in there. There's something else that's present. There's something else that's under all this thinking, that's under all these concepts, under all this belief system, all this BS, that is waiting. And if we wait, we can meet it there. It will rise to meet us, the truth. And through this process and through doing the work, the mind begins to loose, to loosen up. The mind will also begin to lose itself. Will lose itself. It will lose its foothold. It loses its structures of knowing. This work is like a systematic dismantling. Of all this BS, all this thinking, and all this structure of knowing. So it is losing itself. So it's naturally going to resist this. It's also where the mind gets to experience peace. The peace that it has always been seeking. 
the peace that it knows is possible, that it knows is its nature, its very nature. It is returning to its very nature. So it is able to lose itself in that peace, to experience this peace, deep peace, sometimes for the very first time, and to find a home in this other polarity of mind that I'm referring to tonight as the heart. And then the heart and mind can come together. The heart and mind can come together. There's an experience and that's possible that we see that there's not heart and mind, that there is actually no separation. Like it can be experienced as emerging, although it was never separate. We have experienced it as separate, believing that it is duality, two things. When in fact it's never been separate and we can now experience it again as more merged in oneness. So think about as we go ahead this week and into this practice of what it would be like to consciously give your mind a home, a new home. No different than we would give our bodies a home, our children a home, the homeless a home. Like if we're going to give our minds a new home, a new polarity, a new place to rest, and to practice doing that so that when we, when we experience stress and upset and uh, distress, anxiety of any kind, fear, panic, terror, irritation, frustration, any flavor of stress, that we use that stress as an invitation to leave that mind, to leave that polarity and go home and rest, give the mind a new home, a new place to rest this week. A place that is a seat of power, a seat of understanding, and a seat of truth. The mind knows about the heart. The mind knows this other polarity. It has to resist it. It's been out a long, long time. It's been conditioned for a long, long time in a much different way. And that's what this work does. We begin to look forward to what is. We begin to accept what is. We begin to be willing for what is. Accepting what we cannot change, changing what we can. It's also a chance to practice dropping this I, 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 
I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, I need, I should, I should, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I should, I shouldn't. To drop this I. And to get a sense of who we would be minus that I. If we didn't project, if we didn't insert an I or me into things, if you didn't insert an I or a you, a you as me, me as you into things, how would you experience it? get a sense then of what the masters have spoken about of the no self we've learned over the weeks and through your reading I hope and the materials that I hope you connected with in some way that we never experience stress we never experience stressful feelings that is not caused by believing or attaching to an untrue thought, a false thought. So all stress is caused by false thinking. All stress is caused by believing and attaching to a thought that has not been questioned. Behind every uncomfortable feeling, there's a thought that is not true. For example, the wind shouldn't be blowing. My spouse should agree with me. We have, we have thoughts that argue with reality. Arguing with reality is what is causing the stress. Not the thinking, but the believing. Rather than understand the original cause of this stress, which is the thought that we're believing, we try to change our feelings. We try to have a better feeling. Get therapy for feelings. There's nothing wrong with therapy. Nothing wrong with anything. It's just the work for those of us who are ready is about getting to the original cause, which is a thought, a single thought. So we can stop eventually, hopefully soon, and now tonight, today, stop trying to change someone else. Stop reaching for substances, alcohol, sex, food, drugs, money, in order to find a temporary comfort, a temporary relief, and to maintain our illusion of control, maintaining some kind of illusion of control. That is short-lived at best. It's easy to be swept away by overwhelming feelings, to be in a meltdown, to be exhausted or in a collapse. So it's helpful to remember that any stressful feeling is like a compassionate alarm clock. Every stressful feeling is a compassionate alarm clock.
It's here to wake us up. It's here to say, sweetheart, wake up. You're in a very awful nightmare. Believing false, false thought. You're caught in the dream. You're caught in the illusion. Wake up. Honey. Wake up. Okay. Depression, pain, and fear. Stress then. Depressions, fear, pain. All stress, whatever flavor of it, is a gift really then that says, take a look. Pause here. It's like a road sign. It says, turn here. Turn here. Look at what you're thinking. Look at what thought caused this. Look at what you're believing. You're living in something that's not true. You're living in something that is false. You're caught in the dream. So then we can start trying to alter and manipulate the feelings by reaching outside of ourselves and go to the source cause of it. We're more often aware of the feeling than we are the thought. So it takes some practice to use a feeling as a doorway to get to what I'm thinking. So we can speak in terms of I'm afraid, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm despaired. But it's really important in doing the work to put that because on there. So I'm sad because. I'm sad because she died too soon. I'm frustrated because my spouse doesn't agree with me. I'm irritated because traffic was blocked for two hours. So the because is like the excavating tool that shows us what is causing this. Investigating into the untrue thought, the false thought, will always lead you back to who you really are. Inquiry will always lead you back to your nature, to who you really are. It hurts to believe you're something that you're not. It hurts to believe anything untrue about yourself. So, who would you be if you could observe thought, any thought arising without resistance, without a story, and without giving it any meaning whatsoever, who would you be? I wanted to look tonight in our studies at um, the hell and the stress of complaining. Um, people write in the workshops I do every week. Somebody, we use those Judge Your Neighbor worksheets are found right at the work.com. The Judge Your Neighbor worksheet. You can download those. They're free. And they're full of complaints. The whole thing is about what went wrong, why I'm mad, why I'm upset, why something's wrong. I want them to do blank. I need them to do blank. They shouldn't do blank. So it's really just a big page full of complaints and complaining. And like the question that came in in preparation for this class is, do you think if you complain enough, suddenly your life will just change? Do you think if you complain enough, suddenly the world will just become in accordance with your magical thinking about it? Do you honestly believe that something magical will happen? 
like a fairy may appear if I complain enough. A knight in shining armor will ride in, you know, to fix everything. Oh, if I just complain enough. Well, we use complaining typically as a means of getting something. So, then I'd love you to take that into practice this week. When you catch yourself complaining, not to judge it, not to judge you or the complaining, just noticing that you're complaining, and asking you, what is it you're trying to get? If complaining is a method of getting, when you are complaining, what is it you're trying to get? Believing the concept, if I complain enough, there's going to be a benefit here, is not being very responsible. It's not sane. It's not clear thinking. It's passing it off to the rest of the world for them to take care of us. We're trying to dump our responsibility and, and dump our anxieties on somebody else. So if complaining is not about getting something, then what's what's the motivation for it? What are you seeking when you're complaining? What's your motive when you're complaining? Begin to listen. Notice it. And find out the truth about complaining. Notice how it's affecting you. And instead of complaining, see, just for this week, like I said earlier in the the recording, if instead of complaining, if you can drop that, notice the complaining, drop the complaining, and just give the mind a home. Just invite the mind into the polarity of the mind that is still more at peace. A place to rest. Even though it may frantically attempt to prove something. Or it may frantically attempt to stay in its patterned, driven, predictable way of being. Offer it a place to rest. And catch, when you hear the I arise, the I, 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 I want, I need, I should, I shouldn't. Just notice that you're about to go in to a story. When you entertain the I, you have left yourself. When you go into the I, you've actually left your true self.
I'm curious about how some of you are looking about um, the criticisms that we talked about last week and criticisms being a gift, actually being a gift. And that's a very radical shift in how we've been seeing criticism. It's not what people say that's upsetting us. It's what we hear that upsets us. The tone of their voice upsets us. The look in their eye upsets us. They're reminding us of somebody in our family that said that or had an attitude like that or treated us like that. So if you really do want to cut through this, and for me the work has been a fast track for that, you really do want to know the truth, we've got to step in the front of this internal screamer that we have, this internal screamer, so that when someone does that with their voice or rolls their eyes, uses that tone, that instead of shutting down, getting afraid, moving away from it, that we get still and stay open and accepting, inviting it in to see what am I actually believing about this and what's actually true about this. An open mind is someone who can hear, literally hear, rather than imagine what they're hearing. There's a great video um, on the website called, He Criticizes Me. He Criticizes Me. It's also on YouTube. If you want to check that out further to see how somebody did their work relative to reframing this criticism. So there's one place we can stop the yelling. And when we stop it inside of us, when we meet it with some understanding inside of us, then it's over. And don't believe me for sure, because until you test this out for yourself, it's just another strange blah, blah, blah voice on the sanctuary. So please don't believe me. Just take this and test it for yourself. Your your freedom and liberation depends on it. also want to go in tonight to some of the most commonly asked questions about the work. Last Next week is our last session in this mini-series, and there's several questions that come up in the workshops with people that when you start to do the work, um, the mind will resist it. So it'll get hung up in some of these ways, and if you don't... Um, just accept um, the technology, accept the practice of the work, 
then the mind will reject it. It won't do it. Uh, it'll say things like it won't work. I already know this. I've done this before. It can't be this simple. So it'll go into a lot of um, reasons why not to do the work. And it's invested in keeping us stuck in where we are instead of cutting through and breaking through this kind of thinking. So one of the most commonly asked questions is, why should I have to write about others? I know in the turnarounds, it's going to turn it around on myself. So it's true when we get to the turnarounds, we actually do turn around things to ourselves. If you want to know yourself, however, this is a self-realization work. If you want to know yourself, the work is about writing about the other so I can know about myself. Just like if I'm looking at you, I can see the nose on your face. And if I cannot see my own nose, so I have to have a mirror to see my own nose so I can see your nose clearly. That's the reason to write about other people. If you want to know yourself, write about someone else. Point the work outward in the beginning. You may come to see that everything outside you is a direct reflection of your own thinking. Everything outside of you is a direct reflection of your own consciousness. It is all about you. Most of us have been pointing criticisms and judgments at ourselves for years, and that hasn't solved anything. More self-hate, more self-blame, more masochism. It's what um, binds us to this pain. Judging someone else, questioning these judgments, and turning them around, which is the work. Judge someone Write it down, question the judgments, and turn it around is the fast path to understanding, to self-realization. Another question is, how can you say that reality is good? What is good about war, rape, poverty, violence, child abuse? Does the work condone this? No. The work doesn't condone anything. It, you simply, in using the work, notice that if you believe that they sh that these things should not exist, when they do exist and have since recorded history, you will suffer. If you say they shouldn't exist and they are existing, you are opposing reality. That, re that opposing reality will cause the suffering, not the incidences themselves. Can you end the war in you? If you want war in the external to end, it has to end where it's being projected from. So when you can end the war in yourself, And it's reasonable to look for war to end in the external. Can you stop raping yourself? Can you stop raping others that are raping with abusive thoughts and actions? It comes back to me. 
can I do? What can I change? If I can't do this, I'm continuing in myself the very thing I want to end in the world. So while I claim I want there to be less war, poverty, violence, child abuse, rape, robbing, pillage, I'm actually perpetuating that out in the world by saying that it shouldn't exist. So I have to start with ending my own suffering. Start with ending my own war. And it's a life's work. So if I've got a pulse, I still have some work to do. If you have a pulse, you still have some work to do. There's a reason it's called the work. Hmm. Another question. So what you're saying is that I should just accept reality as it is and not argue with it. Is that right? Well, the work says it's not up to me, the work, to say what anyone should or shouldn't do. The work doesn't have a stance on anything. The work is not a philosophy. The work is not a religion. The work is a technology, a tool. It simply offers us questions like, what is the effect of you arguing with reality? How does it feel when you argue with reality? The work explores the cause and effect of attaching to painful false thoughts. And through that inquiry and in that investigation, we find freedom. We know the truth. We find the truth. We're freed by the truth. To simply say that we shouldn't argue with reality just adds another story, another philosophy, another religion. It hasn't ever worked. Another question. Loving what is sounds like never wanting anything. Isn't it more interesting to want things? Again, the work doesn't have a position. My experience is that I do want something all the time. What I want is what is. That's the secret. You know, there's one way of looking at it that says the secret is getting what you want. Well, the secret of the work is wanting what you get. So, if our peace is hinging us, hinging on us getting what we want, how much peace would you have? And what if our peace didn't have to hinge on that? That we can actually want what we get. In that place, it's not only interesting, it's liberating. Interesting. Freedom. When I want what I get, thought and action are not separate. When I want what I have, it's one transaction. They move as one. This is what is. Neither good or bad. Neither good nor bad. It has no conflict. It opposes nothing. If you find anything lacking, ever, 
anything lacking, write down the thinking. Write down your thoughts and inquire. Life doesn't fall short. No mistakes. Everything I need is supplied. What I have is what I need. To say that I need something I don't have is insane. To say that I need something that I don't have is false. Question. What if I don't have any problems with people? Well, I say God bless you and good for you and I hope you ascend and I hope it's this afternoon and I hope somebody films it. Your ascension. Uh, the best I can tell if we've got a pulse, we've got problems with people. If you don't, can't find a problem with people, then I invite you to remember when you did have problems with people and write about that. Remember the time. If you don't have problems with people, you can write about institutions. You can write about um, um, politicians, traffic. Um, facial hair, hemorrhoids, write about former husbands, boyfriends. There's no shortage of curriculum for me. You can write about your body, your aching knee, your stiff neck, your fuzzy hair. There's everything out there we judge. Everything. So, every thought's a judgment. Have a judgment, write it down. Ask the questions. Turn it around. So, yes, you can do the work on any subject, any subject at all. And as you become familiar with the four questions and the turnarounds, you may choose subjects such as disease, careers, and even God or universe. My favorite and most powerful worksheets in my life and my own work has been my judgments against God. So if you haven't done a judge your neighbor 10 or 12 or 10,000 on God yet, I would invite it and highly recommend it based on my own personal experience. And as you do, then experiment with using the term my thinking in place of the subject in the turnarounds. For example, if you're writing, my body should be strong and flexible, the turnaround is, my thinking should be strong and flexible. So you put my thinking on there when you do the turnarounds, when you're writing about an object. My body should be strong and flexible. Turns around to my thinking should be strong and flexible. Isn't that what we're really wanting? A more balanced mind? Has a sick body ever really been the problem? Or is your thinking about that body that's causing the problem? Free your mind. Freedom does not require a healthy body. Question, 
How can I learn to forgive someone who hurt me very, very badly? The work works in the same way, regardless of what the situation is. Judge who hurt you. Judge the enemy. Write it down. Ask the four questions and turn it around. See for yourself that forgiveness means discovering that what you thought happened didn't. Until you can see that what happened simply just happened, then there's nothing to forgive. We're all innocent. We all hurt others sometimes. We all hurt others because we're believing our own thinking. We're all believing our unquestioned thoughts. No one would ever harm another human being unless they were confused Insane. So whenever you suffer, identify the thoughts that you're thinking. Write them down. And allow the answers from within you. Allow the answers from your heart polarity of mind to arise. Look at the polarity of the mind that knows nothing. Take your BS all the way to freedom. Question. Is inquiry, the work, a process of thinking? If not, what is it? Inquiry appears to be a process of thinking. But actually, it's a way to undo thinking. Thoughts, all thoughts, lose their power over us when we realize that they simply appear in the mind. Thoughts are not personal. Through the work, instead of escaping or suppressing, disowning, distracting, we can learn to meet all thoughts with unconditional love and to meet all thoughts with understanding and to see that reality is kinder than our thoughts. What is is kinder than what we've made it up to be. I'll use a few quotes here. And if you've got anything you want to type into the sanctuary, if you've got questions there, I can actually see them. I can't respond. I can not talk there, but I could respond. If you've got questions you want to put in, on the board there, I'm able to, uh, somebody can pass those along to me and I will be happy to address 
any thoughts you have. I would love if you have thoughts that you give them voice and that you not allow uh, a, a confused, bewildered mind to um, stop you from using this work as a tool. I'll read a few quotes as we wait here to see if there's any questions that arise. This is from the textbook, Loving What Is, Living in Harmony with the Way Things Are. There's also um, um, a, on Facebook various groups of people doing the work, daily quotes, um, workshops all around the nation. Um, MarthaCreek.com has uh, workshops all around the nation and in Canada. If you can ever come out and do this work in person, uh, it's quite something to actually experience the work. So if it's been meaningful to you here in this little mini-series, um, send the website out, make an invitation out for people, um, and help me then as part of my mission is to get this work out to everybody in the world, literally. So uh, your reach uh, can extend my reach very exponentially. So I'll do my part, you do your part, and and give this work back to anybody that has suffered enough. When you argue with reality, you lose. But only 100% of the time. When you argue with reality, you lose 100% of the time. Personalities do not love. Personalities want something. Don't pretend yourself beyond your own evolution. Pretending is stressful. Notice. An unquestioned mind is the only suffering there is. You either believe what you think or you question it. There's no other choice. No one can hurt me. I hurt me. If I'm hurting, I did it. I didn't stop to question what I was believing. Sanity does not suffer. Sanity, a sane and open mind does not suffer. Yes, we have pain. Yes, in the physical there's pain. Yes, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. If I think you or any other person is my problem, I am insane. I can't let go of thinking. I can't let go of thoughts. I don't let go of concepts or BS. If I could let go of them, I would have already. 
I can question them instead. And when I question them, they let go of me. You move totally away from reality anytime you believe there is a legitimate reason to suffer. Reality is God to me. If you don't use the word God, you can use life. Reality is life. Reality is universe. Reality is reality. Reality is whatever rules. Reality rules. So to my words, God rules the way of it. When I am perfectly clear, I can see what is as just what is. Arguing with reality is like trying to teach a cat to bark. It is hopeless, and we're still doing it on a daily basis, trying to teach someone to be different. Trying to make giraffes into zebras. Trying to teach cats to bark. Everything happens for me, not to me. Everything happens for me, not to me. Gratitude is what I am without a story. Gratitude. It's what I am when I can step back and get just a little more objective about what is happening. And I cannot be objective about it and subjected to it at the same time. So another little practice maybe for this week is to take a step back. When you notice stress, get excited. The stress is showing you in very clear terms where your BS is. Stress is your friend, a wake-up call, and an alarm clock. So see, I'm stressed because. Write it down. See what's true. Turn it around and feel the turnarounds. And I'll give two or three little examples of turnarounds here. We didn't get any questions about it tonight, but they're common. So if your thought is, she is unkind to me, one turnaround would be, she is kind to me. So that is a way then to go in and find examples of how she's also kind. So it's with my understanding that we are neither kind or unkind. We are both kind and unkind. We are alpha and omega. So there's nothing we are not. We are everything that is. So 
There's kindness at times and unkindness at times. So how is she also kind and unkind? This is where we have to have a crowbar for the mind sometimes because we've got so much evidence to support our already drawn judgments about her unkindness. She's unkind to me. Another turnaround is I'm unkind to her. Well, the second I believe that she's unkind to me, how do I treat her? So who's putting the unkindness in the world? Then blaming her. Juicy turnarounds. And then the third turnaround is, I'm unkind to me. Count the ways. That's where you can stop unkindness in the world. And then what clients refer to as the master's level of turnaround is, I'm willing for her to be unkind to me. You may as well be willing for it. It could happen. You won't get to pick. Neither will I. So far, I don't run the world. Love to you all. Until we meet again. Believe nothing, question everything. You have my heart. Go ahead. That's it. All right. Thank you so much, Martha Creek. Um, I have appreciated listening to you, and uh, I do appreciate your patience with our technology. And we will see you again next week. Blessings and love. You're welcome. Bye-bye.